The reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 37. Listen to the words of Jesus. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The last church that I served before this one had experienced some conflict in the congregation before I arrived. Now, I knew about it. The district superintendent told me about it, but it wasn't until I got on the ground, so to speak, that I understood how severe the conflict within the congregation had been. It had been very, very severe, very destructive. It had hurt a lot of people. It had impeded the church's ability to fulfill its mission, and that had uh, resulted in a significant reduction in church membership and vitality. And on top of that, um, the conflict was so great that it had spilled out into the community. People in the community generally knew what had happened in the church, and, and sadly the church had sort of developed a poor reputation in the community because of it. And I found this out uh, when my family and I moved into the neighborhood, before I even began my work at the church, um, I went out into the front yard and met my new neighbors at the mailbox, and they found out that I was the new pastor of the church, and the husband said to me, oh, we don't go there. Given what we've heard about it, we probably would never go there. Uh, but we heard there's a lot of trouble at that place. And I said, yes, there, there's been some trouble there. And then he said, well, what are you going to do about it? Now, I was taken aback. I really wasn't expecting that question. That's not your usual 
mailbox conversation. But I sat there for a moment and I just told him the truth. I said, well, I'm, I'm still assessing the situation, but I can tell you that the very first thing I'm going to do is preach grace. And then there was this silence from him and his wife as they looked at me. And he said, I don't really understand how that's going to do anything. We go to a Bible-believing church, and that really wouldn't fly there. He said, the people at your church need to be held accountable. They need to be challenged. And I said, you know, I'm not sure that you and I have the same understanding of grace because the grace that I know is not a spiritual softball. Well, he smiled and his wife smiled and they sort of shook their heads and looked down at the ground and then they changed the subject. They were lovely people. They really were. They were great neighbors, but we were not on the same page about grace. Because I do not understand grace to be the equivalent of a warm spiritual bath. But grace, I know, is difficult to live out. Being a gracious person can be the hardest thing in the world. Case in point, our text this morning. Did you listen carefully as Robert read it? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I don't know about you, but I don't see how that's a great big spiritual softball in any sense of the word. Love those who don't love us. Do good to those who would never do good to us. Lend to those who would never lend to us. And by the way, refrain from condemning others. Think first about forgiving. That's being gracious. And that sounds incredibly challenging to me. I don't know about you. So why would Jesus ask us to live this way? Well, because grace is who God is. And grace is what God does. Friends, who determines our character? Who defines our life? Do our enemies determine our character? Do those who hate us define our lives? No. What about those who reject us? Do they define our character? Do they determine how we live? No. Well then, what about those who love us? What about our friends and family? Do they determine our character? Do they define our lives? Again, no. Well, what about those who agree with us, who share our opinions? Do they determine our character? What about those who reject our opinions, who disagree with us? Do they define our life? No. 
The one who determines our character is the one who created it, and that is God. We were created in the image of a gracious God. Our God is incredibly gracious. Did you catch, friends, in the text that three times the phrase, what credit is that to you, is repeated? Did you hear Jesus say that three times? What credit is that to you? Well, the Greek word translated here as credit can also be translated as grace. Where's the grace? If we love only those who love us, where's the grace? If we do good only to those who do good to us, where's the grace? If we lend only to those who will lend to us, where's the grace? If we will forgive only those who will forgive us, where's the grace? There is no grace. Being truly gracious, as our God is truly gracious, can be the hardest thing in the whole world. And here's the kicker. Did you notice who Jesus directed these comments at in our text? They're not directed at the people sort of at the periphery, you know, folks around the fringes. This isn't just general wisdom thrown out there to the public. Now, Jesus directs these comments to the disciples, the inner circle, people who are already living together in community. And so this text answers questions like, how are Peter and Andrew supposed to travel along the road with James and John, their old fishing rivals? How is Matthew, the sold out to the Romans tax collector, supposed to sleep around the same campfire with Simon, the freedom fighter, the religious zealot? Do you see, friends, Jesus gets us right where we live like he always does because he knows us so well. Jesus understands that one of our biggest struggles is being gracious to the people closest to us, being truly gracious with the people that we encounter every day that we rub up against all the time in our lives. You know what I mean. Sometimes it's easier to be gracious to the person working the Burger King drive-thru than someone in our own family. Why is that? I don't know, but it's true. Maybe we just get too relaxed, too complacent in our relationships sometimes. Maybe we lose our sense of self-awareness. We don't realize how we're speaking to others, how we're treating them, how we're coming off as we engage in daily encounters. Maybe we just somehow lose sight of that. Maybe it's that there's some truth to that old adage, familiarity breeds contempt. I don't know, but it is true that so often we are most ungracious with our friends, our family, our neighbors, even our church family. Somebody tell me again how grace is the equivalent of wallowing in a warm spiritual bath. When my grandparents retired from the ministry, they moved to a very small town and they joined a little bitty church there. It was a beautiful church. 
stone facade on the outside, almost like a little chapel on the interior, beautiful stained glass, red carpet, polished pews, and a little pipe organ that uh, they could play so loud that you could feel it in your chest. I have great memories of worshiping with them there. But that church was, uh, was dominated by folks over the age of 60. Uh, there were very few young families, very few children in that church. And my, my grandmother used to worry about it. You know, she was afraid that if the church didn't attract more young people, that eventually the congregation could die. And thank goodness, over time, and it was a long time, a few young families did join the church, just enough so that on Sunday mornings when the pastor called for the children's time, there were a handful of kids who would scamper up front, and the older people in that church would tell anybody who would listen how much they loved those families, how they cherished those kids. And then a wrinkle. Some of those young families got together and formed a praise band and they practiced together, and they, they worshiped together during the week, and they enjoyed that time so much. They wanted to, to open it to others, so they went to the pastor, and they asked if they could begin a contemporary worship service at the church. And the pastor said yes, but some very powerful elderly members of the church said no. They were truly convinced that contemporary praise and worship music was sacrilegious. One person went so far as to say that if drums or a guitar ever came into the building, not just the sanctuary, friends, the building, that would mean the devil had taken over the congregation. Well, one thing led to another, and eventually there was a showdown at a church council meeting Terrible things were said. Terrible things. There was name-calling and finger-pointing. Some tears were shed. It was a bad experience for everyone. And eventually someone stood up and said, you know, this just isn't going to work. Somebody's going to have to leave. And at that, all of the young people got up and walked out. And I will never forget my grandmother telling me that the following Sunday, when the pastor called for children's time, not one child came forward. The church lost every young family. Well, the folks who wanted to start the contemporary worship service uh, tried to start a whole new church in a storefront downtown, but it didn't go especially well. And my grandmother's church continued its slow and steady march towards congregational death. There were plenty of opinions, you see, but not much grace. So everybody lost. You see, friends, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone, you must fear or hate them. 
And the second is that if you love someone, that means that you necessarily approve of everything they believe and do, and both of these things are nonsense. I love the way Rick Warren puts it. He says, you do not have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. It is possible to be gracious with those with whom we disagree. And friends, I believe that we are in a time where there is a special call in the church's collective life to live out that kind of grace. Because our community and our city and our nation needs us to do this. And because living into grace like that pleases God. We all know that we are in the midst of a very contentious election season. We all know that. It's the most contentious in my lifetime, I have to tell you. I have older friends who have told me that, that they've seen worse, but I haven't. Our nation is so polarized, and there's so much conflict. And I'm hearing from some of you, rightly so, that this is very upsetting to you. You're telling me that you're, you're seeing it, the, the hate speech, the name-calling, the finger-pointing. You're seeing neighbor turn against neighbor and families suffering. You're seeing relationships destroyed. You're seeing people feed fear and hurt others in the process. And this past week, one of you emailed me and asked me very pointedly, much like my neighbor several years ago, what are you going to do about it? What is the church supposed to do? Well, friends, I think we have a tremendous opportunity before us, a calling to be people of grace, to be an example, to be that city on the hill, the one that shines the light of Jesus for all to see. We can set an example for all of our brothers and sisters and show that we can disagree and still treat one another with grace. Look, I know there are some of you who might say, you know, the example should be absolute unity in all things, but I don't believe that's possible. People in the church have never agreed on everything, certainly not politics or all social issues. It's, it isn't a possible thing for us to all feel the same way about those sorts of things, but we can be unified around our love and dedication for Christ. We can be unified around our deeply held belief that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we can be unified in our conviction that our gracious God asks us to be people of grace, and then we can step up and be those people, because church, we can do better. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do better. And what an example we can set. What a message we can share in the midst of this squabbling, judgmental, condemning, hate speech-filled world. We can be people of peace and grace. We can share a message about a spirit-filled faith that casts out fear and enables us to live in love.
we have the power in our ordinary lives through the Holy Spirit to take that extra moment that means the difference between sin and grace. We can take that extra moment before we press the button to send the email, before we put the stamp on the envelope, before we respond to the Facebook post, before we put up a meme ourselves, and we can ask, is what I'm doing here going to honor Christ? Is what I'm doing here going to lift up love in the world? Or am I doing this because I have a deep need to feel right and superior, or dominate my neighbor, or scare people? We have that power because God gives it to us. So church, I want to urge you to be people of grace in this time. Set that example for our brothers and sisters. Relate to one another in love. It will not be easy. But that's the reality of grace. Will you pray with me? Most gracious God, we are humbled by the mercy that you show us, by the love that you pour into our lives, by the fact that you have loved us from the very beginning before we even knew your name. You knew us and you've loved us. Lord, strengthen us to be people of your grace in this world to relate to one another in love, even those with whom we disagree, and thereby bear witness to the power of grace and the eternity of your love. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.